My wife and I, we're not baseball fans, except I like to see when the Yankees lose. Uh, our kids all have favorite teams, so I kind of look to see how they're doing, and most of them aren't doing very well this year. But we always like to watch the Little League World Series because it's great to see these 10 to 12-year-olds that have worked so hard to get to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, to play in the World Series, that they have all kinds of playoffs, uh, different places uh, around the country. And this year, there's no international teams, uh, thanks to COVID. And, and so it's just the, the teams in the U.S. And so, I don't know, will they really be the world champions uh, if they only play U.S. teams, or will they just be the, the U.S. champions? Because what they would do, they would have all the international teams play each other, and the U.S. teams play each other, and then they would have the number one international, number one U.S. team play against each other, and the winner would be the winner of the World Series. So, I don't know. But I guess it's kind of like Major League Baseball. It's all U.S. teams except for Toronto, and Toronto's playing in Buffalo this year uh, because of COVID. But in Major League Baseball, it's all about the money. Although the millionaires, I cannot believe the money that some of these uh, players make. Uh, it's to me, it's beyond ridiculous, especially for a pitcher. You know, a, a pitcher may pitch every what four days or something like that, and not very often do they pitch up a whole game. Uh, sometimes they may only pitch an inning or two. Uh, and still they're getting these millions and millions of dollars. Because in Little League, it's all about a bunch of kids that love the game and hope to win. You know, the, the other night we watched the Little League softball championship, and Oklahoma won. That was nice. But organized sports is a good thing, as long as it's left to the kids that are playing. I mean, obviously you need parents there or coaches, uh, you know, helping out. But sometimes it can get to be more of the parents reliving their glory days gone by or what they thought were glory days. So as long as it's kept fun and a learning experience, I think it's all good. Now, if we could get the same commitment from the adults to be teaching their kids about the Lord, we'd be in pretty good shape. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, the need to know your word. And Father, we, we have it in so many forms. Lord, we need to just be finding whatever works for us, uh, whether it's listening to it or uh, having a Bible you hold in your hand or on your phone or your computer, uh, that, Lord, we need to, to be into your word and not just to read it, but, Lord, to, to study it and to know the message that you have for us. And the message you have for me may be different than the message you have for someone else from the same passage. And so, Father, help us to not take that lightly. And Lord, above all, to pass it on to our children. 
And, and Father, just for a moment, I, I just want to lift up the situation in Afghanistan. Uh, Lord, I just uh, pray for those uh, from Afghanistan that um, have been helping the U.S. and have been trying to get their freedom. And Lord, I know they're going to be singled out. And Lord, especially the women. Lord, the women have enjoyed 20 years of, of freedom, uh, learning, and uh, just discovering who they are. And Lord, I'm afraid that's going to be lost, unfortunately, with the way things are. So Lord, I just uh, pray you put a hedge of protection around our troops and uh, any other uh, Americans that are over there, Lord, to, to get them all back home safely. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out with some scriptures that all tell us pretty much the same thing, but they're from different people and <clears throat> different times. <clears throat> Excuse me, and some I know are going to be familiar to you. So, since there's so many different times and ways that this message is given to us, it must be important. So, we need to pay attention. In John 13, Jesus is talking about his impending death with the disciples. And this was John's version of the, the Last Supper. And Judas is left to uh, do his evil deed. And then in verse 34 of chapter 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And Jesus repeats that <clears throat> in John 15, 12. And then in John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. No pressure there, okay? Jesus is saying, this is the way I love, and I expect you to love in that same way. You know, and to be prepared to, to do what I do, and to live how I live, and to love how I love. So, at the time, the disciples didn't really know for sure what Jesus was talking about. And so it maybe didn't stick with them until after the resurrection. Well, Paul speaks to us along the same line in Romans 12, uh, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Well, most of us can love others, but to honor them before ourselves, to put them before ourselves and everything, and just like Jesus instructed, you know, to, to lay down our lives for others, well, I don't know. You know, the scripture says, you know, maybe for a, a good person, some would lay down their life, you know, but it's just not really the, the thing that gets done much. And that's very, very true. Well, Peter has a good message for us in his first letter uh, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, 
because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now this is how this reads in the message where it says, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Goodness. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. Well, some blessings come easier than others. And, you know, for us to be agreeable, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, you know, if we're doing all those things, I don't want to say we've earned a blessing, but that's maybe the way we might feel, you know. Look at look at everything that I did, so I should be blessed. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that can sometimes be the way that that I look at things. Well, in John's letters, he speaks a lot more about love. God's love to us and our love to God and our love to others. So in 1 John 3.11, it says, For this message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And then in the next chapter, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it speaks of the, the whole, I guess, about love. Because John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is how God showed his love among us. <clears throat> he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So I think those verses really sum up the way that we're supposed to love. And it comes down to the two words that we're to love like God loves. Okay, no pressure, right? Okay, just be God-like. So what are we supposed to do with all this love that we have? Well, we're supposed to put it into practice. When, where, and how do we start? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> Paul is instructing the believers on some of the do's and don'ts of being a believer. So let me touch on some of it in verses 23 and 24, where it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Ah, there's those others again. Okay, we're to love others. We're to do good for others and with others. 
So why do we need to be concerned about those others? Because we love them. If we're being like God, we love them. So we see that until verse 28, where it says, But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, okay, then you don't eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm not referring to other person's conscience. Excuse me, I am referring to other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Okay, the first phrase that I see in this passage that really sticks out to me is, do not cause anyone to stumble. Okay, and I'm sorry, uh, and to add to Paul's closing remark that we do that for the good of many so that they may be saved. Okay, our witness is always, always being scrutinized by believers and non-believers alike. What a new believer sees a mature believer do, they think, I guess that's the right thing to do, so I should follow that example. Because, you know, I look up to this person. This person is my mentor. You know, this person is the one that that I should be kind of following their example. And so we need to be aware of that. Now, as mature believers, we need to take that seriously because of the effect that it has on new believers. And as mature believers, we need to take it seriously because of the non-believers that are looking at us. And if they see us doing the same things the world does, they'll say, why become a Christian and go to church and, you know, give your money to the church and you know, they expect you to do this and not that and serve here and go there and, and all. You know, they're, they're living just like we are. And some of them are even worse. We can't forget that. Okay? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, someone may decide to not follow Jesus because of the worldly behavior that we've seen, that they've seen in us. Okay, and that was Paul's biggest concern in this passage. Okay, don't do something that's going to make someone else stumble. Don't do something that's going to make a, a new believer, you know, kind of question 
Christianity, don't do something that's going to make a non-believer say, I don't need this Christ stuff. You know, I'm, I'm doing just fine all on my own. Let me give you a couple passages from Jesus on this. In Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Whoa, you know, that seems like it get kind of old really quickly. You know, if somebody maybe you work with, and they keep messing up time after time, and come back and say, oh, man, I'm sorry, you know, that was my bad. You know, you're supposed to forgive them. Or maybe your spouse or your parent or your child or, you know, someone that you're living with. You know, if they keep, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, coming back and saying, oh, man, I did it again. I'm really sorry. I blew it again. You know, and you've got to say, okay, I forgive you. You know, and you're thinking, hey, this is getting kind of old here. But now let me add to that <clears throat> Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter manner matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse even to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, Jesus' statement, every matter may be established by the testimony of of two or three witnesses. Okay, that comes from Deuteronomy 19.15, where it says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So that's why Jesus is saying, you know, take, you know, one or two people along with you and discuss it. And if the person says, hey, you know, too bad, you know, I'm, I'm not wrong. You know, then you take it to the church. Okay, Jesus is giving the sinner an opportunity to make things right. At the same time, he's letting us know that things need to be dealt with. He says, treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. We know how the Jews felt about tax collectors, okay? That you, that was the lowest that you could possibly be as a Jew would be to be a tax collector because many of them, probably not all of them, but many of them would collect the tax that they needed to from Rome and then they'd say, eh, let me add another 20% onto that just for me and all my trouble. And so the people hated tax collectors. And and says to treat him as a pagan, well, to the Jews, that was anybody that wasn't a Jew. That was someone that was a Gentile. You know, to the Jews, <clears throat> those people had no rights. 
They were considered unclean. They were not to be in the temple. And this is how you would be treated if you refused to repent from your sin. Now, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he has this to say about dealing with other believers. This is chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I apologize. I'm not reading very well this morning. But <clears throat> bear with me, I guess. Forgive me. I repent. Um, so the, the important part in there is forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, when you go to, to not forgive somebody from some small sin, look at yourself and say, you know, I've been forgiven by the Lord of you know, a lot more than that. So I guess I really need to forgive this person. But it, it says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Man, that's a lot of garments. Okay, that's some pretty heavy stuff. Okay, and we're supposed to act that way with someone that we're having an issue with. Okay, we maybe can clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience with somebody that, you know, we're just having a good time with and we're getting along and everything's going great. You know, we can show those things, but Paul is saying you got to act the same way with somebody that, you know, you're butting heads with. And he's, he's saying that it's not just your spouse or your children or your BFF, but you're supposed to be this way with everyone. You know, that driver that cut you off and the person that, you know, took the, the last TV that was at a super low price or, you know, the person that got the promotion that you were sure that you were going to get. You're supposed to treat them with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. <clears throat> that toughie got thrown in there. So all I can say about that is, Lord, have mercy. You know, because that's going to be one big-time difficult thing to do. So let me go back to Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 12, verse 18. This is a verse that I know is very familiar to me and one that probably you're familiar with as well because it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay? I have to do my part. I have to do my part. Not, I should do my part, or, you know, that's really a good idea. But no, it's, I have to. As much as it depends on me, I need to do what I can to live at peace with 
everyone. We hear the same thing from the writer of Hebrews in 12.14. He says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Again, the emphasis on being the example of Jesus that draws people to Jesus. Now, Jesus' brother James is giving us some instructions as to how to show this love, this compassion to others. He's talking about faith and deeds. Excuse me. And so let's see what James has to say. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims they have faith and has no deeds? Excuse me. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Okay, we're supposed to meet the needs of each other. <clears throat> and the perfect example that we see of that is in Acts. Okay, where the church, they were there giving for each other, giving to each other, lifting each other up constantly. Okay, <clears throat> you know, I don't know you, but most everybody that I do know, you know, we have the means to meet the needs of another. Now, obviously, we can't meet all the needs that we're aware of, but there is always someone Somewhere we can help somehow. <clears throat> it can be frustrating to see the homeless. You know, there's some that have real needs and some not so much. When we were on our vacation, we were in, back in Salisbury, Maryland, an area where we lived near for 12 years or so. And there was this guy at stoplight, had a sign, says, you know, out of work, you know, need food, you know, help any way you can. Well, Diane gave the guy an apple. You know, we didn't have anything else with us, and we're sometimes reluctant to give money. So the need that he had was not for food, not the food that he was asking for. He wanted money. <coughs> and you know, who knows what he was going to do with it. But Diane saw him. Then we had gone someplace, and we came back, and we saw this guy, and he's got his arms full of, like, bottles of water and, you know, takeout bags from some different fast food places and all that. And he walks around behind this one fast food place, and he dumps all this stuff, into the dumpster. <laughs> Diane was so mad. She said, I could have eaten that apple. You know, this guy just threw it away. I could have had that apple. Those apples were really good. But it all boils down to one thing. If we call ourselves Christians, we need to live like Jesus. Sometimes that's not an easy thing to do. Okay, would Jesus have given the guy an apple? Probably. 
Would Jesus have given the guy some money? Maybe. Would Jesus have met the guy's needs? Yeah, for sure. Because Jesus would have known exactly what the guy's needs were. And probably the guy's biggest need was Jesus himself. You know, we all remember the WWJD craze back, what, 20 years ago or so now, where there were bracelets of all kinds and necklaces and bumper stickers and shirts and, you know, you name it. And there's a, a new thing that's been added to that, which makes a lot of sense because it's, uh, WWJD, and then I've seen this on a bracelet done on one side, and on the other side it says HWLF. And, you know, when you see it, HWLF, what the hell? I don't know what that could be. But what it is, he would love first. That's what he would do. That's what we're called to do as well. We are called first to love people, just like Jesus would love them. Back in the beginning of the message, I used John 13, 34. Well, here's John 13, 35 from Jesus. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's a song that comes from that verse, and hopefully it's true. But here's the words. We're one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together, we'll spread the news that God is in our land. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and will guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Scripture tells us to watch out for each other, to be there for one another, to lift each other up, to meet the needs of each other. And we're to do that for one reason alone, because of the love that's been shown to us. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for who you are and who you have made us to be and who you are molding and shaping us into. That, Father, we have your love living inside of us if we call ourselves Christians And so, Lord, let us remember that love is not just for those in our little inner circle. It's not just for our friends. It's not just for those in our small group or those in church or family and friends or whatever. But that love is for everyone. Father, as believers, sometimes it's mighty hard to do. As much as we maybe want to do it and we want to reach out in the ways that that you're telling us that we need to, it's a difficult thing to do because some people are just kind of hard to love. And kind of hard to to work with. And, and, you know, as much as you try to meet their needs, you don't seem to be able to do it. So, Father, help us to have the patience that we need. And remember that we were told that, you know, we need to keep on forgiving if that person keeps on repenting. So, Father, just help us in that. 
And Lord, I lift up anyone that that may have listened to this that doesn't know you, that's never made that commitment to you. The Lord, today will be the day that they decide that they need to turn their life over to you, that they've tried everything else, but it just hasn't worked. Let them know that that your son Jesus went to the cross for their sins, that when Jesus was on that cross, he physically took within his body all of the sins of everyone in the world, past, present, future. And because he took those sins, that Lord, only because of him we can be forgiven. And we can only be forgiven because he was resurrected. And so we know that we have new life. We have that promise of eternal life with you. So, Father, if someone needs to know that truth in their life, Lord, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, who died for my sin. Thank you that you gave him new life and that new life will come to me. Father, just guide me and direct me in the ways that I need to go, that I can be just like Jesus. In his name, amen. Amen.